them and just touch their lives. This morning, our lesson title is Purity by Design, and our family theme is Pure Living. Our objective is that we would learn to submit ourselves to God's will for sexuality and develop strategies to live a life of purity. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, first of all, uh, chapter, verse 9 through 20, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8, and Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We've got three key truths. Do not be deceived by the world's view of sexuality. Number two, God's will for sexual activity is best for us. And number three, sexual morality must be put to death. Under our Bible basics thing we should know, uh, we're encouraged to memorize uh, Psalm 51, verse 10, where the Bible says, Create in me a clean heart, and, O oh God, renew a right spirit within me. By the way, I do have it written before me this morning, so we're encouraged to memorize that. So what is our lesson today fit in the overall story of the Bible? We're certainly, again, looking at some of the writings of the Apostle Paul, written at various times during his ministry, but this particular section we're choosing today uh, talks about uh, how God wants us to live our lives in sexual purity. Under our get started, our question this morning is this, and it's kind of a rhetorical question because you know the answer. Have the attitudes about sex changed in our lifetime? Say it again, Wayne. Yeah. Can you believe it? I just cannot believe it. Uh, what are some of the things that changed? Hmm. I, I guess it is. Um, who would have thought 15, 20 years ago would have to deal with same-sex marriages? Here's a statistic that kind of blew my mind. And the one study talks about how the attitude toward that has changed same-sex marriage. In 2004, of Americans, let me see, make sure I got this right, 60% of Americans, get this right, opposed same-sex marriage. More than half. Now, by the way, I personally thought it would have been higher than that, but still yet, it was 60%. In 2019, 61% now support it. Isn't that crazy? And by the way, did you hear the on the news the other night about Florence Baptist Church? You need to be praying for them. Uh, they have an upwards basketball program. And uh, I know Glen Estee Baptist Church has one as well. Uh, Jason and Ronald's kids and Jesse's kids participated for a while in that. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But evidently, one lady volunteered to be a coach. Well, when they found out she was married to another woman, 
the, the church came and said, we can't allow that. Our bylaws simply doesn't allow that. Of course, now, uh, I, I don't know if it would be a lawsuit or not, but the news was involved, and, you know, the uh, they interviewed the, the couple and how awful the church was, how they need, need to get with the time. We're now in the Rick. Florence Baptist Temple. Okay, thank you. Bobby Courtney was trying to tell me that yesterday. I guess it went over my head. Because he said Florence Baptist sold that building to Florence Baptist Temple, right? It's worth having that? Okay. So thank you for that, Brother Rick. But that, to me, it doesn't matter. I'm praying for that church. I'm praying that, you know, God will intervene there. But, you know, just, just unbelievable. Now, here's a statistic that really changed... Uh, Wow. And Cheryl, you mentioned something already. Would you agree then that uh, attitudes have changed about premarital sex? But here's what I found out this week, according to our, our study guide from Randall House. It's also changed among Christians. I don't get that. And according to their survey, as many as 80% of unmarried evangelical young adults say they are sexual active. Folks, something's wrong in the church. Something is wrong in the church. Now, by the way, we cannot let the world dictate our attitude. We must have a biblical attitude and a biblical worldview. So my question is, when will God's word be outdated? Never. It's always the same. And by the way, the writer of Hebrews tells in chapter 13, verse 8, that he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Our God never changes. And I want you to, to, today to remember as well, to remind ourselves that God's attitude about serious issues like sexual activity does not change. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not what? Commit adultery. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, uh, you know, Jesus even went to so far to chide the Pharisees, say, look, if you lust after a woman, you committed adultery already in your heart. So my question is, who knows what's best for us, God or our world? God does. And he instructs us about what is best for us. And the good thing about God's Word, it's filled with timeless principles that we can apply to our lives. So our first key point this morning is not to be deceived by the world's view of sexuality. Now let me stop here for a moment. How many know we have a group of people who believe if you say it long enough and loud enough, what, Dan? It'll be true, right? Just keep on repeating it. Just keep on hammering away at it. Have you noticed that any, any, even on commercial and television lately? Over and over and over again. But we have to remember, 
We can't be deceived by those things. Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 20. Thank you, Dan. First of all, notice in verse 9, Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? You're awful blunt, Dan. That's what it says, is it not? That is what it says. Now, we're living in a culture that has fewer and fewer limits regarding sexual activity. And Paul says there in verse 9 that we should not be deceived. How many know we're living in a world filled with deceived people? And all the, all, and he lists a lot of things here, not just sexual sins, other sins as well. And by the way, which sin is worse? They're all sin, okay? They all need to be repented of and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting. Paul says, look, whatever you do, don't let the world's standards deceive you. It's simply not good. 
Now remember, if God says it's wrong, if a million people say it's right, which is it? It's still wrong. Why? God says it's wrong. God says it's wrong. Now, again, we have to understand God has set some boundaries. And those boundaries are still there. And we have to understand those who violate those boundaries are going to pay a high cost. And we see it going on in our world today. So Paul began in verse 9, listing some sins. More in verse 10 as well. And notice, if you will, Paul says that if you do these things, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. My question again, is that ambiguous? No. It's clear and it is to the point. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now it's interesting here. He makes a list in verse 9 and 10. And he says to us and to those he was writing to originally. If you are in this group. You're not going to heaven. You'll never see the kingdom of God. But notice the first part of verse 11. He says, such were some of you. So my question is, we know that's true, but what makes the difference now? Amen. You used to be that way, but you've come to Christ, and the blood of Christ has washed you, the blood of Christ has cleansed you, And now you are made righteous by his blood. You've been declared righteous. And now you're no longer excluded from the kingdom of God. Now I mentioned, I saw this, I think I saw the story on the 10 o'clock news on channel 19 the other night. Pam was watching as well. But they interviewed the couple. And, uh, you know, their point of view was, we're old-fashioned, we're narrow-minded, a lot of times uh, accused of bigotry, if you will, biased, if you will, but you need to understand something. It doesn't matter where people fall on that list unless they come to Christ and be washed in the blood of Christ they're headed for devil's hell. They can never see the kingdom of God. Now what's interesting, and Paul makes it very clear, first of all, all of us have a sinful background. Isn't that true? We've all been delivered out of sin. Now it may not be, <coughs> certainly not all of these sins, but somewhere in that list, and this list was never meant to be Uh, exclusive, there are others as well, but everyone needed delivered from sin. And so Paul reminds us, reminds us, if you've repented of them and come to Christ, and now 
We're to embrace a different kind of lifestyle. Now think about that. First of all, does God forgive sins? Yes. Which ones? All of them. And and Paul says, look, if you're entangled with those things, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay entangled in those things. And it's interesting Today, people are trying to condone what they're doing. Now, let me make sure you understand something, folks. According to our, our, our list that Paul made today, and again, it's not exclusive. All of these he lists, none of them, if they continue practice, practicing that lifestyle, embracing that lifestyle, none of them are going to see the kingdom of God. Would you agree Paul's clear about that? He doesn't pull any punches. Now, it's interesting. Paul talks about things that are not explicitly called sin in the Bible. But does that, does that make it right for us to do? Not always. Now, we have to remember something about the Apostle Paul. First of all, uh, he was a Jew. We remember that. Uh, he was a Jew. And uh, he... Uh, did Paul allow grace and the law to be mixed Did he say, uh, you've got, you know, you come to Christ, but you also need to be circumcised? No. He was adamant. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And he preached it, and he preached it, and he preached it. Now, what's interesting, how many know people can take something too far? In chapter 6 of, of, of Romans, Paul addresses that because in chapter 5, actually in chapter 6, in chapter 5, Paul said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And so Paul said in chapter 6, so should we continue in sin then? He said, God forbid. Well, Paul, if, if, if my sin shows God's grace better, then I ought to sin more. Paul said, no, that's what I'm talking about here. You're going too far. And so now he's been preaching grace and faith, and now they're saying, okay, Paul, then it's okay for me to do anything I want to do. As long as the Scripture doesn't expressly forbid it. So verse 12, he says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, I'm going to say something today. I'm going to be very clear here. Because it's a casual reading will give you the wrong impression. Paul is not himself saying all things are lawful to me. Now he would. But there was a, a cliche going around in the New Testament church. I mean, Paul preached grace through faith in Christ. 
And so because of that, now everything is lawful for me. I can do whatever I want, no matter what, as long as God's word doesn't say it's sin. Now, by the way, Paul also repeats that, <coughs> preaching twice here, but also in uh, chapter 10, the first Corinthians. So it was a common cliche. <coughs> and basically, people were using that to justify whatever it was they might want to indulge in. God didn't say it was wrong, so all things are lawful for me. I just won't let myself be brought under the power of that. Now, by the way, I think Paul would agree with that statement, but not when they're taking it too far, trying to justify everything in their life. So there are many things that might be okay for us or, if you will, lawful for us to do. But the thing is, they may not be the best for us. So Paul is saying, watch out. I know what you're saying, but be careful and don't fall into that trap. Now, we have to understand, whatever we do, whatever we engage in, We have to make sure that we are not brought under that power of that, that it controls our life. We must be brought under the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to make sure that whatever activity we get involved with, the places we go, that they don't put us at a greater risk of temptation. And Paul says, you've got the wrong attitude here. Now, it's interesting. Um, later on here in chapter 6, Paul says to flee fornication. What's flee mean? Run. Yeah, get away from it. When? Immediately. Because that affects the body like no other sin does. Don't miss that. It affects the body like no other sin does. And in our the context of our text this morning, Paul certainly uh, stands against the attitude that a lot of people have today. Well, it's just sex. What's it really matter? I I mean, you know, the cry of the crowd today of the left is, keep your laws off my body. Well, number one, it's not your body. Amen? It's not your body to begin with. But the problem is this. We must not allow the, that attitude the world has to take control of our lives. We have to allow the power of God to work within us, and we have to acknowledge that our bodies belong to God. Now, by the way, <coughs> remember, Paul is addressing Christians here. How many know a sinner, those who are unsaved, behave like sinners? Right? And there's nothing we can do about that. But Paul says, these things ought not be named among those who name the name of Christ. 
Our lives must be brought under the power of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Because now as Christians, our bodies belong to God and they are not our own. Now, Paul says, look, here's the reason that sexual sins are so damaging because uh, we belong to Christ. The Spirit of God lives in us. And wherever we go, guess who goes with us? The Holy Spirit. Whatever we're involved in with, guess who's there with us? The Holy Spirit. Christ goes with us. And we have to understand, that's why Paul says, flee sexual sins. Because our bodies do not belong to us. We were bought by Christ and we're to glorify Him, not only in our spirit, but also our body which belong to Him. Which belong to Him. But the sad thing is, even Christians are letting down their guard. They, and, and it breaks my heart when I hear a child of God say, well, I know what God's Word says, but... If God's word says it, guess what? There's no buts. There is no buts. God's word remains true. Keep your laws of my body. Paul said they don't belong to you anyway. So my question is, does God have a right to tell us what to do with our bodies? Sure he does. Does he have a right to tell us not what to do with our bodies? Sure he does. God has every right. So there were some who say, well, it doesn't really matter what we do with our bodies. Now, this is uh, another statistic that kind of amazes me. It's estimated that there are about 400,000 children sexually abused every year. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? And, and those who study that tell us that this kind of abuse affects them in the way they behave. It puts them at a greater risk for eating disorders, insomnia, memory loss. Those who survive it have a, a a vast range of emotional challenges. They're fearful. They are a high risk for depression. And the list goes on and on and on. Now, what's interesting is this, and I think we know it to be true. A child breaks an arm, that's a wild heel, guess what? They go on. But it's a known fact that the impact of sexual abuse is much longer and pervasive. And folks, I tell you, it's an awful thing. But here's the thing. People want to do what? Whatever it takes, right? Let me have it my way. An old commercial, right? Please ourselves. Well, I think you'll agree. I'm glad that Roe versus Wade was overturned this past year. Now, by the way, that doesn't do away with abortion because it's kicked it to the states. But still, yet, it was a step in the right direction. (laughs) 
question, okay? When it comes to abortion, when it comes to abortion, why do a lot of people make that choice? You want that? They're selfish to cover up a sexual sin. I mean, come on. Now, according to statistics, there have been over 50 million abortions in America since Roe versus Wade was passed. How awful can that be? And what's interesting, in our nation, everybody has rights except who? The unborn. Did you hear our vice president of the give her speech about the Bill of Rights the other day? Guess what she left out? The right to life. She intensely left it out of her speech. Because if you say that, guess what? How crooked our nation and our leaders have become. So the question, I guess, is, because we know we need to develop a biblical mindset. And we have to understand that the mindset of the world has been devastating. Sexual transmitted diseases are on the rise. A lot of babies being aborted in an over-sexualized culture. And we have to interact with our children, with our grandchildren, to let them know, hey, that the reason we're in the mess we're in because we're not following God's precepts. God has a precept, God has a plan, and we need to abide by that. So let's apply it. View sexual activity as God sees it. As God sees it. So my question then today for discussion is uh, what in what ways does the culture we live in disregards God's design for sexuality? How are they doing that? In what ways? Oh, through the media, okay. They're claiming it's okay. It's my life, it's my choice, it's my body. Uh, surely God wouldn't care that I marry a woman if I'm a woman or a man if I'm a man. But God says, yes, I do care. Yes, I do care. Now, by the way, I, I forgot to mention, uh, reading from the King James especially, it talks about the effeminate and the abusers of mankind, of, of their bodies, if you will, there. And the Greek word refers to the passive and the active person in homosexuality. That's what it means. So it's talking about homosexuality. And now again, that's not the only sin. There are others as well. But let me make sure you understand. And hear me well. Well, help me out. This list that Paul gave, pick one of them, anyone, doesn't matter. If you are embracing that lifestyle, are you going to go to heaven? No. And every one of that list applies, including homosexuality. There's no way 
No way you can be a Christian and be a practicing homosexual. No way. And the same is true with every other sin on that list, lifestyle that Paul lists there in verse 9 and 10. Any question or comment about that? Any question or comment about that? God's way is the best way. So number one, don't be deceived by the world's view of sexuality. Number two is, number two is, God's will for sexual activity is the best for us. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians now. 1 Thessalonians, verses 3 through 8. Hold a minute. I'll say that three times in a row. <laughs> I, there, there you go. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Wow, what a word, huh? <laughs> Dan, I'm surprised you don't know what it means. Can you believe Dan knows what that word means? Dan, I, I, I'm really talking. Me neither, Dan. Okay, I had to look it up myself. Actually, sometimes it's translated lust. But it literally means a passionate lust. You know, it goes beyond just, well, I guess lust is bad no matter what, but a deep, passionate lust. And so Paul says, don't do that. Don't, don't get caught up in that. Now, and Alan, thank you for reading that and, and certainly uh, appreciate that. Uh, but notice there in verse 3, the first part, Paul says, for this is the will of God. What does that mean? It's what God wants, yeah. Uh, there's no questioning. This is God's will. And Paul says, it's good for our sanctification. We've been set aside by God. And now that we're set aside, the will for God is that we abstain from fornication. Now, the Greek word for fornication is pornea. And it has anything to do with pornography, any kind of illicit sexual activity outside the marriage of a man and a woman. All right, uh, So it involves a lot of things there. And Paul says, look, rather than fall for what the world is trying to tell you, they're lying to you. We need to look at God's word. And follow God's will for us. And God says the best thing for us is keep away, avoid any type of sexual sin. So Paul said if we're going to do that, we need to learn how to live our lives in purity, live lives of honor. And uh, I'm going to skip that word you want to go, Alan. But to avoid that kind of deep, passionate lust in our lives. Now, anybody here not passionate? God made it for the passion. And there are things, a lot of things, many things, when it comes to our passion, we must ask God to help us keep it under control. 
And Paul said, this is the will of God. According to verse 6, we get involved in things that God's not pleased with sexually. It hurts and harms other people. And Paul says, God has called us not to live that kind of life, but to live a lifestyle of holiness. Now, I mentioned earlier, there are some that would take things a little bit too far. And many in the early church, in the early church days, they began to teach that being celibate was certainly the best thing. But listen to me. That's not what Paul's talking about. In fact, Paul said, if you can do that, that's fine. But Paul said, if you can't, marry Get married. And we have to understand that. So, Paul reminded Timothy, watch out for those who forbid people to get married. Avoid them. Because the the bottom line is, God does not expect all of his children to be celibate. It's not for everybody. And by the way, if God has called one into a life of celibacy, they need to do that. But they can only do that by God's grace according to his calling in their life. Now, by the way, who ordained marriage? God did. He ordained marriage. And it was viewed as a state of intimacy. And it was good. It was good. So also... Do you remember where Jesus was when he did his first miracle in John chapter 2? At a wedding. He was honoring that wedding. So understand, God is going to judge sexual sin. But the Bible says that marriage is honorable. And the marriage bed is undefiled. Within that context, God says... It's okay. And God designed it to be just that way. And that's why God designed marriage. In Proverbs, kind of in the middle of warning against adultery, in verses 18 and 19, the writer says, Rejoice with the wife of your youth. Enjoy your marriage. So, Intimacy within a marriage is beautiful and wonderful than anything the world is peddling. Anything the world is trying to sell us. So Paul said, if you're married, don't deprive each other unless it be for a season and both of you agree to it. (coughs) Paul understood the importance of that. Also understand, now remember, whose idea was marriage to begin with? It was God's. And it was meant for the benefit of society. But our world has taken perverted what God meant to be good. But yet God says it is good. You won't hear it from the news. The studies show that those who are married have greater intimacy. Those who are married especially as they reach middle age, 
are happier than those who are not. And of course, you won't hear them on the news, will you? They glamorize all this other stuff. But those folks are not happy. It's those who are in a marriage relationship. And we're living in a society where the media promotes uh, those who are promiscuous and as though we ought to envy them. But folks, I don't envy them. I thank God for what God has done in my life and the wife that he has given me. Now, by the way, it took me a while to get Pam trained. But now, well, she can't hear me. I'm glad. I'm kidding, of course. But here's what I want you to understand. There's nothing greater than marriage. God has granted. That's not for everybody. I understand that. But it's a blessing that God has given us. Now, by the way, My grandmother, my, my grandfather passed away and she married for the second time, a Christian man. And uh, I don't remember now, it's been too many years ago, they're both in heaven now. And uh, I was telling her, I said, Grandma, this is what we've been teaching, uh, you know, about intimacy and how we need to show our wives love and, and compassion and uh, you know, not just uh, at nighttime, but all through the day, be nice. He said, would you mind telling your grandpa that? You know, so uh, even she desired that kind of, of closeness. But, it, folks, it's real, and it is uh, uh, genuine. Let's apply it. Was that the bell, Jason? Follow God's will for that activity. My question is then, why is it always best to do things God's way? Amen. He knows what's best, all right? All right, number one, don't be deceived by the world's view of sexuality. Number two, God's will for sexual activity is best for us. Number three, sexual immorality must be put to death. Colossians 3, verse 5 and 6. Anybody got it? Want to read it? (coughs) Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, there it is again, concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which thing sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. We've got to put it to death. Why? Because it is so damaging. Living a life of purity will honor God. It will honor God, and it will strengthen our walk with Him every day of our lives. We got any time left, Jason? Three minutes. Let me say something real quick. I thought for a minute, when we were in 1 Corinthians there, uh, Paul talks about uh, the meat for bellies and the belly for meats, you know. And he said, God will destroy both. I thought, man, when I get to heaven, I'll be skinny. I won't have no food there and no belly. That's not what that means, okay? The point Paul is making is this. This body is going to die. But what we do with it is important. Because any kind of illicit sexual activity harms the name of God. We have to avoid that at all costs. God's way are indeed the best way. Let's stand together. Father, we're grateful today for your word. And Lord, we know you've been so good to us, Lord, and your precepts are for our good.
I pray, Father, you would draw us near to you. Help us to live our lives in sexual purity. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. God bless.